0: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. Welcome to Soundbites from Overeaters Anonymous. Our show will educate you about OA's 12-step program so you recognize the symptoms of compulsive eating and find the support you need in a program that works to help you control your eating behaviors and maintain a healthy weight. In this next hour, you will realize you're not alone and that there is hope for recovery and a whole new life free of obsession with food and weight. Now, here is your host, Naomi Lapel.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to Soundbites from Overeaters Anonymous, a 12-step solution to compulsive eating. I'm Naomi Lapel, managing director of Overeaters Anonymous, also known as OA. Our 13-week series, which runs through January 9th, will give you information on what OA is about and how it works so you can decide if it might be right for you. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how and why a 12-step program can work for compulsive eating issues. So what is a 12-step program? Most everyone you talk to will say they've heard of Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, and they might even know that it uses some 12 mysterious steps. Well, OA uses the same basic 12 steps as AA, but adapted for compulsive eaters. In step one, we talk about being powerless over food instead of alcohol. In steps two and three, we acknowledge that all of our attempts to control our eating have ended in failure and made us more desperate and crazy than ever. What we needed to do was not summon up more willpower or try harder, but instead surrender, admit that we couldn't do it on our own. We needed a power greater than ourselves, greater than our compulsion to eat and our obsession with food, diets, and weight. When we acknowledged that, we could turn our eating and our lives over to that power, whatever or whoever that power is for us individually. We stopped trying to control our eating and found that we were now able to eat normally for a while. But if we didn't change our way of dealing with our lives and our problems, our habits and self-defeating patterns, we would go back to doing what we'd always done, eat compulsively. Steps four through nine lead us through a process of self-reflection to see what isn't working in our ways of dealing with the world. We look closely at our fears and our resentments, and we discover the things in us that keep us apart from others, our selfishness, our fears, our secrets, our dishonesty, We share that with another person, someone we trust, and identify the things we do that just don't serve us. We look at where and how we've harmed others and ourselves and try to make things right. Step 10 continues this process on a daily basis, and Step 11 allows us to further develop the relationship with the power that keeps us abstinent from compulsive eating and in recovery. Finally, in Step 12, we continue to practice these steps in every aspect of our lives and share the message of recovery to other compulsive eaters. As long as we do that, we no longer want or need to eat compulsively. So joining us today are Dr. Marty Lerner, a psychologist who runs an eating disorder center in Florida, and three guests from OA who will share how OA's 12-step program worked differently for them than all the other things they tried in the past to lose weight. Since anonymity is an important principle of our program, we'll only be using OA members' first names. And I think I said three guests, but it's actually two guests. So we're going to begin with OA member Meg from Minnesota. Meg, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi. Hi. Welcome. So you're maintaining a 90-pound weight loss for the past seven years. Is that right? Yes. That's incredible.
3: Um, So tell me about your obsession with food. When did it start? Well, I really believe I was born out of the chute with a problem with food, but I can go back to memories of age 3 and 4. I remember when I was 4 years old, I ate a bottle of aspirin, and in those days, they had 100 count. And the thing that made it different was I was looking for that orange fizzy taste and sensation. And my mom was asleep. I knew it was medicine. I knew what I was doing was wrong. But I needed to have that exciting food experience. So, of course, that resulted in a trip to the hospital. And since I'm here, it didn't kill me, nor did my mom. Thank and goodness. then in the seventh grade, I remember eating half of a full sheet cake in 20 minutes because my sister was sharing it with neighbors. And then I ate dinner after that for, with no problem. So I've always been a- active and always had a normal weight until I became a young adult. And that's when the weight started coming on. So that's, too, when I really got involved in the diets and exercising, and still just always focusing on the food and always knew that I could eat more than anyone, whether it was a kid or an adult.
2: Wow. Is that something you felt kind of proud of
3: for a while? No, in fact, I, yeah, I, in some moments I did, and especially when I was thin, but uh, a lot of times I really felt ashamed about it and I would eat my volume food in private.
2: And did you have that experience of um trying lots of different diets and techniques to manage your weight and and then gaining the weight back and maybe even that kind of yo-yo experience.
3: Yeah, I I started my first diet when I was 16, and of course I was working at a bakery. I mean, the, the whole thing I just laugh about now. And when I was on my dieting phase, uh, I was fine. I didn't eat anything because then I do the starving thing, and then I started smoking so I could cr- curb my appetite. And then when I wasn't dieting, then I could eat, you know, several dozen donuts during my night shift because I frosted them. So I had an intimate relationship with all of them.
2: Wow. So what is it in the twelve steps that's really different from how you approach this problem for?
3: I would say for me it's really the spiritual aspect. When I did a lot of commercial weight loss diets and Combinations of my own, and it was always a focus on I'm in control of my weight and I'm in control of my behaviors. And what I also realized after becoming a part of OA is that of course I have no willpower and I just don't have a stop button on my eating and that I just needed to stay away. And the diet mentality was always a temporary fix so that as soon as I was done with my diet, I could go back to the way I was. And of course, I just kept repeating the same cycle over and over again. I'd lose my weight stay for a little while, eat the way I used to, and gain weight, and even more.
2: Right. So was there one particular step that you heard in the program early on that, you know, like had an immediate impact on you?
3: I think step one for me. uh, My parents belonged to another 12-step program, and I just learned from that that one was too many, and a million was not enough. And so by the time I walked into OA the first time in 1995, I really got the fact that I had a problem with sugar. Sugar is my main um, addiction and that it had nothing to do with was I smart enough, pretty enough, active enough, good enough, whatever. It's just that my body just doesn't produce it like normal eaters.
2: Right. And step one is admitting that you're powerless. and Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And did you feel the other part of step
3: one is our lives had become unmanageable. By the time you got to OA, did you feel like that? Very much so. In fact, the night before I went to my first meeting, I ate a bowl of brown sugar and it still makes my teeth kind of shiver just thinking about it. And I just somehow knew I was going to have to give that up. But I just knew that I was tired of the rage, the anger, the complaining, the low self-esteem, and just the remorse that I had every time I overate.
2: Yeah, interesting. So, You've maintained your um, weight loss for um, seven years. Uh, a lot of people, we talked about, struggle with losing it and gaining it back and more. Um, so how has the 12-step program helped you to maintain your weight, a healthy weight, for a long period of time?
3: I really look at the 12 steps as my guide for living. And it isn't just step one. And I'm a two-timer in OA. I was in OA for five years from 85 to 90, thought I could do it on my own, got complacent, and gained back all my weight and more. And then was in 14 years of, again, the dieting, the exercising, the smoking, the everything else, and reaching bottom yet again of just feeling that I know I cannot control this. So that when by the time I came back, In 2004, I was ready to put the food down and really look at the fact that this is my life. If I want to have a good and happy and fulfilling life, I want to follow these steps. And it really gave me the guide of... Yes, admitting I'm powerless. Yes, I was nuts when I was in the food, angry, rageful, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that there were behaviors that I had when I didn't treat people well and I harmed people. And so that there's a whole guideline for me to really – Not, I can't fix, I can't go back and redo everything, but I can make amends and make restitution for my wrongs instead of beating myself up for it and then using food as my solution to feel better. Yeah, I might feel better for that five minutes as I'm scarfing it down, but the Mm -hmm. remorse and the regret I had afterwards is just enormous. Right. And so so then,
2: then you would have the, the thing that you did to harm someone plus the remorse and the regret over having eaten over it.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I just stayed in the cycle. And this way, I mean, <laughs> the, for me, the one obvious thing was there are certain foods I cannot eat anymore. Sugar, fried foods, junk food, that sort of thing. And I don't feel bad about it. I mean, I have so many blessings in life. I can hear. I can see. I don't have cancer. I have great health. And so I can't eat a cookie, big deal. So that's how I look at it, too. I don't look at it that I'm doing without. I I look at what I have going forward.
2: That's a really great distinction to make. Um, From your experience, what does emotional recovery have to do with weight and eating issues? And and how does the 12-step approach help you with that?
3: Well, it's really for part of it, it is really about growing up, suiting up. Um, you know, when we talk about step four and making our inventory, and it's really just taking a true assessment of you know who we've been, who we are, and then what we want to go looking forward. But the fact is, you know, I'm a 50 plus year old woman, and uh, it's not appropriate for me to act like I'm eight years old. And there were times I would, especially if I didn't get my food or when I felt remorse and all those things. But the emotional maturity is really about getting out of that everything is all about me is really having that self-focused almost narcissistic view of everything is about me or everyone's talking about me or everyone thinks this about me etc and this is really about what am i what is my purpose in life and how am i with You know, my friends and my fellows and my coworkers and colleagues, et cetera, that I look beyond that. And then, therefore, I'm going to, by putting the food down and working the steps, I'm going to have a more emotional well-being and I'm going to be more balanced. I'm not going to be raging. I'm going to be more kind and loving and a little bit more carefree.
2: Interesting. Um, so you said something earlier about spiritual life um, and spiritual recovery. Um, we're going to take a break in a minute. Mm-hmm. But when we come back, um, I'd like to talk to that uh, experience a little bit. So um, so it's time for us to take a short break. And thank you so much, Meg, for sharing your experience with us. This is SoundBites from Overeaters Anonymous on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Stay tuned.
0: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. I knew I had a problem, but I didn't know what to do about it.
2: I tried counting calories, I took pills. Eating and eating and then
3: more eating.
1: I really wanted to stop, but nothing could make me stop.
3: At one point, it was so bad that I just felt like giving up.
4: I felt so... Alone, like nobody else could possibly understand.
2: We understand. We're Overeaters Anonymous, and we have helped thousands of people just like you. People who want to stop their compulsive eating and start living a healthy, rewarding life. Overeaters Anonymous help me get my life back.
3: Now I eat in a way that's healthy and good for me. I never realized what I was missing out on.
2: With OA, I am living again and loving it. Start living the life you deserve with help from Overeaters Anonymous. Find us on the web at OA.org. Wow, I
5: feel good. No matter what our age is, health deserves our utmost attention. But how do you achieve optimal wellness? Tune in to Ask Lorna Live. Your host, Lorna Vanderhaegg, will provide research-backed solutions that will have you feeling fit and fabulous. It all comes down to hormones. We'll show you how it works with mainstream medicine along with nutritional medicine. Listen for Ask Lorna Live every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: You are
1: listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous with Naomi LaPel. To find out more about OA, please visit www.oa.org. Now, back to today's program.
2: Welcome back to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous. We're talking with Meg about how OA's 12-step program helped her. So before the break, Meg, we were talking about um, the spiritual recovery, that aspect of the program for you. So
3: what does that have to do with weight and eating issues? The spiritual focus for me is just really understanding that there's a universal energy out there, that I don't have to do everything myself. And a lot of times that's what I believe to be. I was raised in an organized religion, and I'm very thankful for that. But OA and following the spiritual program has offered me so much more. And I see how other people interpret that and that they can recover. So there's nothing hard and fast or anybody has to follow certain rules. And so for me, I've been able to work more time into prayer and meditation where I'm able to ask my higher power for something and then also listen for what are my next steps. And it's really focusing on being my best self and what is my purpose in this life.
2: Mm -hmm. So when you say uh, in the step, it says God as we understood him. So what does that mean to you or how did that change for you in the steps or in the program?
3: I... It became more expansive for me in the sense that I just think that there's a collective spiritual guidance uh, in the universe. And so it isn't just, you know, I look at one person with all the answers or one entity. Um, I pray to a lot of people, and I am more connected with, I would say, nature and those sorts of things. And then also what other people, when I go to my meetings and talk to my sponsor, which is like a mentor, um, I have to say, and I get my answers that way. I get my answers through life and blood people as well. Yeah.
2: So, and how does that help you with um, with your compulsive eating, with, with maintaining your healthy weight, maintaining your abstinence on a day-to-day basis? How does that help you?
3: It helps me just focus on what is my purpose in life and what is it that I need to do to live my best self. And sometimes that's stepping out and doing something scary when really it's for my best self. Instead of sitting in a job where I'm underemployed and underappreciated and feeling, oh, woe is me, this way I'm really utilizing my gifts and talents. And then as a result, I feel more lighthearted and free. And as a result, more people want to spend time with me because I'm... I'm happy, and now I'm happy to even share that, that I'm happy. I don't have to feel kind of silly about it. I just think it's great, and that I love my life as it is right now. It's, it's just so much more than I ever imagined, and mm. I'm doing it with others. I, I don't have to do it alone, and I think for so long I felt trapped that I had to come up with all the answers and then would get angry because I didn't have all the answers, and working the spiritual program in OA, we are encouraged always to lean on a higher power and to lean on our fellows and, and that that's accepted.
2: Yeah, that's great. Well, congratulations, Meg, for the work you've done on yourself and on your thank life. Thank you. And, um, you know, just making an incredible life for yourself. You know, I know that that takes commitment and you've, you've done it. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you. Now, I'd like to welcome Neil from Maryland to the show to talk about his recovery in OA. Hi, Neil. Are you there?
6: I am. Hi, Naomi.
2: Great. Welcome. So, you've been maintaining a 35-pound weight loss for the past 16 years. Is that right? Yes, it is. Okay. So, why did you end up turning to OA? What led you to this path?
6: Well, it was interesting listening to Meg because I, I, I felt... I, I have always felt that the the origins of my disease are are emotional, and while I was attracted to sweet foods very early in my life and ate them to excess, I was a kind of kid that was very nervous and anxious. Um, you know, kind of the classic ADD kid,
2: mm-hmm. um,
6: and and there was something about uh having these these very large feelings inside of my little body that made me um very protective, very, um, I, I was aggressive, I, I was kind of defiant, I, I just kind of felt like life wasn't fair. And, um, I just had a chip on my shoulder, and, um, what happened for me is, is I just felt like living life with those big feelings was very uncomfortable, and I started to look for relief very early. And for me, oftentimes, I'd be camped out in front of the TV with, you know, a particular food, sweet food, some other kind of food. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just out, out of touch. I was killing time. I was... Um, dropping out. That was really what my purpose was. And in a lot of ways, there this kind of um, mistaken belief that the the world owed me a living and I could just come and go as I pleased is, is how I conducted myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so it wasn't um, so much about over binging, but it really was about making an association. You know, there was a, a pleasing taste that um, was associated with the, these periods of what you might call relaxation, or at least just kind of stasis. And uh, unfortunately, it became it became a uh, a dependency. You know, uh, to the extent that I could use food to zone out, I stopped trying to cope with anything that bothered me. And uh, you know it. It really held me back My, you know emotionally, I was very immature and um, uh, contentious and defiant and at the same time kind of lazy because I just felt like life was hard for me, and if uh, you know if, if if your life was like mine, you'd do the same thing too so um, so that's a kind of an emotional illness. you know I was ill at ease. And yeah. where I sought relief with food, I continued to seek relief from other things, um, like exercise. Um, you know, I did not get obese for my disease. What I did was I relied on exercise to control my weight. And, and also having a lot of pent-up uh, aggression and frustration. Um, you know, I was fairly gifted as an athlete, and I loved to compete. Um, but I used it to kind of uh, dominate, you know, dominate other people. It was an area where I thrived. Or in other areas of life, I felt I was kind of behind the curve. Like in school, where I felt like my ADD was a, you know, that deficit really kind of hurt me, made me feel inadequate. Well, in sports, I was one of the first guys that got chosen, and I always took great pride in that. And you know, I would just play hard. You know, um unfortunately, you know, at the age of 35, when you're playing softball and you're willing to still have a fist fight with somebody over a foul ball... <laughs> <laughs> it, it does have a way of, of uh, running its course. So
2: Kind of makes you wonder what, what was going on there, huh? Yeah,
6: yeah. So so for me, you know, as I say, you know, I, 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 um, I would do things like repetitive gaming. You know, when computer games came out, I could just, you know, peer into the computer until I was just numb. Um, you know, I, I used to read, uh, used to play endless games of solitaire. So that kind of repetitive gaming was just another way to numb out. And that's really what... What life, my life in addiction was about. It was about yeah. running away from pain and running to what I considered to be pleasure. But it was really just relief, and unfortunately, seeking relief from things that were never really designed to give me that.
2: And what was it in the twelve steps when you when you got to OA that um, was different from how you approached your problems before? Like, why do you think that worked for you?
6: Um, You know, there was a combination of, well, first just coming into meetings and hearing people talk with great facility and in in a kind of a casual, authentic way about dealing with um, aspects of their disease that I currently was, you know, involved with. And just seeing how far that they'd come, uh, I was immediately attracted to that. You know, you you know, you hear people say, you know, I came to a meeting and I felt like I was home. I could really identify. Um, In the past, I would compare myself to people, and it was usually an unfavorable comparison, and that set up that antipathy, like I can't tell people what I'm really about um, because they'll think less of me. Well, in a meeting, everybody was the same. Everybody had value, and there were people who were overcoming the problem that I had, and I was attracted to that, and and I began to ask people. You know, of course, when you take the first step, you have to admit that you have a problem. Um, They say that you have to hit bottom. And Mm -hmm. that's really true because I think that in order to take the steps in sequence, you have to build on a strong foundation. And for me, I had to really understand that I was not successful at reversing my addictive eating on my own. And, And there were people there who, if I was willing to ask for help, they were willing to help me. And then I had to really make a decision to receive that. And, uh, right. and once I started to do that, my life started to get better.
2: Yeah. Did, was there one step in particular that really resonated with you at the beginning?
6: <laughs> um, you know, around steps two and three, when, you know, step two, it says, uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, which really, you know, it means that a precondition of taking this step is you have to admit that you're insane. And, um <laughs> You know, the jig was kind of up. I, um, I was, in many ways, um, highly emotional. Um, you know, things like road rage I could always relate to. I was very impulsive and overreactive. And while I wasn't necessarily, like, getting checked into the rubber room, I was constantly um, expending a lot of energy trying to deal with frustration and resentment. And I found when I came at the program that to develop a an understanding of a higher power that was really kind of a, a higher order of intelligence, kind of a a uh, benevolent um, uh, resource that, that had my best interests at heart and would put me into situations where I could learn and grow, that was a big turning point for me. Because wow. in the past, I thought adversity was evidence that I was not good, that I was not a good person, that I didn't have worth, and I was being punished for it. And I, and I found that when I, when I got abstinent and I was able to string days of refraining from compulsive eating together – It all turned around, and I was able to see kind of a greater purpose. It enabled me to step back and certainly see my own actions more objectively, and I was able to see when there was a problem in relationships, that there were things that I was doing that contributed to that, whereas before... I wasn't even really willing to do that.
2: Yeah. Um, so, Neil, we're going to have to take a quick break, great. and we'll be back uh, shortly. So uh, you're listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous on Voice America, and we'll be right back.
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. I knew I had a problem, but I didn't know what to do about it.
2: I tried counting calories, I took pills. Eating and eating and then more eating.
1: I really wanted to stop, but nothing could make
6: me stop.
3: At one point, it was so bad that I just felt like giving up.
6: I felt so alone. Like nobody
4: else could possibly understand.
2: We understand. We're Overeaters Anonymous, and we have helped thousands of people just like you. People who want to stop their compulsive eating and start living a healthy, rewarding life. Overeaters Anonymous helped me get my life back.
3: Now I eat in a way that's healthy and good for me. I never realized
0: what I was missing out on.
2: With OA, I am living again and loving it. Start living the life you deserve with help from Overeaters Anonymous. Find us on the web at OA.org.
5: It's no secret
1: that teen girls and young women all across North America are struggling with diminished self-worth, depression, eating disorders, and self-harm. The good news? Tune in to The Mary Walden Show for a mental health boost. Raising and empowering young women, mind, body, and spirit. Join Mary and her guests, clinicians, artists, musicians, and researchers to get the knowledge and the know-how. To build resilience in teen girls and young women today. The Mary Walden Show airs live Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer is not something to be taken lightly. But instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the Cancer Coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself, you will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Could you be living with imbalances and not even know it? Tune in to Hormonal Happy Hour with Dr. Angela DeRosa. Hormone imbalances can be the root cause of several common issues, including weight problems, heart disease, decreased mental function, and even impotence or other problems in the bedroom. Whether you're a teen or in your golden years, there's a lot to take from one episode of Hormonal Happy Hour. Stop by every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America
0: Health & Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You are listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous with Naomi LaPel. To find out more about OA, please visit www.oa.org. Now, back to today's program.
2: Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Neil about his experience using OA's 12-step program to deal with his eating issues. Welcome back, Neil. Hi. Uh, So let's see. You were talking about your um, relationships with other people and how Mm -hmm. how that was affected in the program. Did you find that changing slowly over time or was there kind of an immediate transformation for you?
6: Um, I think it was gradual you know i i began to see that that really um that a lot of my disappointment in life came from wanting to be well-liked and wanting to be, you know, loved and to be able to love other people. And and I felt like I was doing kind of a bad job of it. By the time I got into program and I saw how selfless people were, and and people would say things like, in order to keep the gift of abstinence, you had to give away what you got. and And it just made it very altruistic um, to, to give unconditionally was something that was very hard for me and then I saw that I was capable of that and that it says in the literature that when you're feeling the stress that might have previously brought on compulsive eating that you help somebody else that you get outside of yourself. And so, you know, in OA, we have tools like making phone calls and reaching out to people. And I began to go to meetings, and I'd hear someone tell a story they had a test coming up or they had a, uh, a medical thing that they had to go through. And I would just take down names and numbers and say, you know, on that day, I'm going to call them up and say I was thinking about you because I remember you talked about this. And just having people say after the fact that getting that call or – you know, extending one's hand at that particular point in time really made a difference in their hmm. life.
2: And how and did that, that make was a difference a, in your a, life?
6: A profound, um, it was a profound thing for me to realize that we, we do deeply affect each other, whether we know yeah. it or not.
2: And how did that help you um, in your life when you would reach out to people that way? Like if you were... Um let's say, being triggered by a thought or a particular food or, um, you know, a situation that in the past you might have eaten over?
6: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I was... I felt that that kind of transparency, that I could talk about my process and just say that I was having a difficult time in the past, showing my vulnerabilities really didn't seem cool, and not that I did it for effect, but I found that when I was in trouble and I was able to share honestly about going through a hard time and and not – Picking up the first compulsive bite, that that could be an inspirational message for someone who hadn't yet uh, developed the tools that they needed to sustain abstinence. Um, so there was a purpose, you know. There was a purpose in having the pain. There was a purpose in adversity, even in suffering. You know, I felt that sometimes I had to overcome the mistaken belief that I had to see things in a certain way. And uh, an addict that feels like they don't have choices. Is going to act out, um, you know, compul- compulsively, self-destructively, and when I would tap into that um, spiritual energy that I felt in program, I would be given inspirational thoughts and new ideas, or even just come up with, you know, I could call so and so and talk to them about this particular situation. And it just so it sounds like, like you was-
2: got choice, you had choices yes. that where you didn't feel you had choices before exactly. the program actually actually provides that.
6: Yes, and that you know. This is where we get the power back that we lost within step one. You know, well, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I'll – I put a lot of structure into my food plan. I eat measured amounts. I have a lot of structure, and it, it helps me um, because I see that, it, it, that we all need limits um, and, that, and that, you know, just as a, a corral keeps a horse from getting out, it keeps uh, opposing, you know, predators from getting in. And so I felt that the boundaries around my food were helping contain what was otherwise a difficult situation for me.
2: That's a great analogy. What's your life like now since being in program and being abstinent?
6: Well, it's very full. I'm very devoted to my OA recovery. Um, I'm active in different service positions that enable me to be in touch and make a difference in my local area. Um, I'm married to the same woman who happens to be in program as well for the last 26 years. Um, I've learned to uh, run a a business uh, fairly successfully uh, for quite a long time. So there's there's constancy. You know, program kind of allows a person to recalibrate their moral compass and live a life that has ups and downs, and it's all okay.
2: Wow. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Neil. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that today. Um, okay, our last guest on today's show is Dr. Marty Lerner, who runs an eating disorder clinic in Florida. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Lerner.
4: Glad to be here.
2: Okay, well, some people are overweight, or they have an unhealthy or unbalanced diet, or maybe they need to incorporate more movement into their life. Um, but others seem to have a problem with food and eating that goes way beyond that. So for people listening to this show and wondering if OA might be a good direction for them, how would they know?
4: To begin with, I think there's a lot of misinterpretation about uh, the difference between a weight disorder um, and an eating disorder, much like there's the difference between a social drinker and an alcoholic. So Mm -hmm. you could take take two people, for instance, who weigh the same and one uh, be a compulsive overeater or have an addictive relationship to food, and the other um, uh, just having the symptom of being obese or overweight as a result of bad habits. So there's a difference between an addiction and an eating disorder and someone who has more of a lifestyle or issues with bad habits.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and The other, what is, the other
4: piece so, I just wanted to mention is, is along these lines, is that um, pretty much when, you, when we were listening to Neil and when listening to Meg, you know, Neil did not have... Um, a, an issue with being massively overweight right and what 's interesting about that is that there 's a misnomer um in o a from people who are not members of o a that um that the the most important criterion to define an eating disorder or food addiction or compulsive overeating is what somebody weighs, and that is probably the poorest measure with which to define uh, an addictive relationship with food
2: yeah. And so what is a better measure for people?
4: Um, again, I'm going to draw the analogy to other addictions and, and our cousins in AA. Um, but um, I would say that it, it's more a measure um, uh, as to how the quality of someone's life and their functioning is affected by their relationship with food. So uh. um, I would define alcoholism that way. It's not so much how much someone drinks or how frequently they drink, but what happens to them as a result of drinking.
2: Right. And um, so what is it about the 12-step approach that, um, that OA offers that might be more effective for people who eat compulsively, um, more effective than diets or other things they've right. tried in the past?
4: Well, understand there's a difference between a diet, which is usually temporary and treating a symptom, the weight, and a food plan, which is more lifelong and, 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 and more permanent, um, and that said, um, uh, you know, OA becomes a way of life and, and seeks through the steps um, to remedy some of the root causes of an addictive relationship with food. And all addictions have something in common, and that is to fix feelings. So from, from a psychological standpoint, um, a food addiction, compulsive overeating, binge eating disorder, however you say say it, um, it, it really is a disease that has a, a physical, emotional, and, and spiritual component to it and, and basically OA affords uh, a way to address all of those issues, whereas a diet is strictly focusing on manipulating your appearance and your body weight.
2: Right. And what kind of process have you seen your clients go through when they're in your facility and they're working on their recovery?
4: They, they, they have one of two experiences. The ones that um, tend to succeed are the ones that utilize the tools in OA as a support network long after they leave a treatment uh, experience.
1: Mm-hmm. And
4: those that don't do as well can't get beyond a dieting mentality. So they, they see uh, a program of recovery as as a support group for a food plan or a diet and, and measure the quality of their recovery in terms of pounds lost rather than go beyond what would be a first step and looking at, uh, you know, all the other components to the program, uh, which in a roundabout way, you might say, have an influence over stabilizing uh, a healthy uh, body weight. So there's much more to an an OA program or a 12-step program than simply treating a symptom.
2: And what about people who just it just sounds like too much work for them? Like they just they just want to lose the weight, you know, like all this 12 steps and spiritual recovery. It's just it's too much work. Uh Like, How do you how do you answer that to them for them? Well,
4: to be fair, there's a contingent of people that that will do well with the Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig or any any of the popular diets. They're not food addicts. They're not people with an addictive relationship with food. But if you have an addictive relationship with any substance or <laughs> compulsive behavior, usually a 12-step program is not the first place you seek, <laughs> seek help. <laughs> it's the last place on the block. And, uh, and you know, addictions have a way of, um, as Neil put it, um, helping you to uh, reach a bottom. And the, the irony is that the lower uh, that bottom may be for someone, Uh, the more desperate someone is and the more open-minded they are and and so willingness becomes a product of how much pain you're in and and a compulsive overeater um, or any addict for that matter uh, usually reaches a point where they're in so much pain that their mind opens and I call it and other people call it a moment of clarity there's an Uh opportunity to open the mind to an approach that is different than the same old
2: yeah very interesting great well we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk some more sounds good welcome uh, uh so i'm naomi lapel and you're listening to Soundbites from overeaters anonymous on the voice america health and wellness channel stay with us your life your
0: health your network you're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: Wow! I feel good. No matter what our age is, health deserves our utmost attention. But how do you achieve optimal wellness? Tune in to Ask Lorna Live. Your host, Lorna Hag, will provide research-backed solutions that will have you feeling fit and fabulous. It all comes down to hormones. We'll show you how it works with mainstream medicine along with nutritional medicine. Listen for Ask Lorna Live every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: What do we really know about the healthcare system? With recent discussion in the news and not knowing where to turn for the right answers, be sure to tune in for The Healthcare Police with Matt Atwood and Strom Thomason. From insurance companies to medicine, government to your hospital, we'll go in depth to bring you the true story of our healthcare system what's working and what's not. The Healthcare Police is broadcast live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You are listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous with Naomi Lapel. To find out more about OA, please visit www.oa.org. Now, back to today's program.
2: Welcome back to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous. We're talking with Dr. Lerner about his experience with eating disorder clients at his Florida clinic. So, Dr. Lerner, it's common to hear OA members say they're one bite away from a binge. So it seems important to them that they don't get complacent and keep in contact with the 12 steps even after they've found recovery. Why do you think this is?
4: Um, I think the best way to answer this is is to just read, if you'll indulge me for a second. The American Psychiatric Association came up with, I think, a very succinct, albeit medical, definition of addiction. And Mm -hmm. my assumption and my experience has been that compulsive overeating is a disease and it's a disease of addiction. So I'm just going to take a moment and read you their, their statement in their task forces, how do they define an addiction, and we can apply this to compulsive overeating? Uh, they say um, addiction is a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. By that, they're talking about the, um, uh, the physical aspect of addiction. Um, They go on to say that dysfunction in these circuits leads to characteristic biological, psychological, social, and spiritual manifestations. This is reflected in the individual pursuing reward and or relief by substance use or other behaviors. The addiction is characterized by impairment in behavioral control, craving, inability to consistently abstain, and diminished recognition of significant problems with one's behaviors and interpersonal relationships. And this becomes the most important um, uh, paragraph in their statement. Like uh. other chronic diseases, addiction involves cycles of relapse and remission. And this is where OA comes in. Without treatment or engagement in recovery activities, addiction is progressive and can result in disability or premature death.
2: Very if, interesting.
4: If you digest that, what now, this is an impartial um, a group of professionals, um, psychiatrists that specialize in uh, treatment of addiction. This is what's being taught in medical schools today, um, uh, which I think is a great advance. But what they're really endorsing is part of the treatment process is long-term, lifelong engagement in a recovery process um, with a group of like sufferers, people in recovery, which is an endorsement. The 12 step program, and if you have an addiction to food, it's an endorsement of a program like OA.
2: Yeah, now part of the 12 step process um, is making a list of people um, that you've harmed and then making amends and, and also telling that you mm-hmm. know, sharing that list with somebody who you trust. So, why do you think this process is important in recovery?
4: it's It's an excellent question, although we're taking a step out of the context of other steps there's a psychological component um, and spiritual component to this step and From my perspective, with working with people who have completed these steps and in particular this step there's a release from from guilt, but there's also an emotional um, experience to this where a lot of compulsive overreading is in the service of of Trying to assuage or fix or cope with either resentment or anger or guilt. And this is sort of a house cleaning step, which takes a lot of the baggage with which people may be driven to overeat um, to be able to clear their end of the sidewalk uh, rather than being victims or looking at what was done to them, but looking at what they may have transgressed to other people, and gives them kind of a clean slate so they don't have to keep reliving in the past and move towards, you know, the future and the present.
2: Yeah. And and um, when uh, we talk about people recovering on three levels, physical, emotional, and spiritual, and we've talked a little mm-hmm. bit about physical and emotional, why is it important to address eating issues from the spiritual aspect in particular?
4: Well, We've known for a long time that, that 12-step programs such as OA and AA have been able to do for people long-term what professionals have not. And part of what OA offers is a spiritual component. So there are lots of professionals that can offer um, a physical and emotional support. Mm-hmm. Um, but combining all three um, uh, is something unique to a 12-step program like OA. And lastly, the spiritual component, both Megan and, and Neil identified this. They kept using the word sense of purpose. And spiritual is another, another way of saying existential, which is another way of saying an identity or sense of purpose outside of the self. Most mm-hmm. people that have addictions are, are kind of in this hell of self-absorption and, and self-focus. And part of a, a spiritual experience is being able to step outside of that and find some serenity or peace because traveling in the neighborhood of your mind is always a uh, a rough neighborhood to spend too much time in.
2: <laughs> yeah, as, as we've heard. Um, well, tell me um, a little bit more about um, what you've seen um, with some of your clients. Sure. You s-
4: I, I mean, I'm very privileged to work with people uh, who have come to our treatment center and people like Neil and Meg, because uh, in, in this business, it, you know, it's difficult to see people get well and stay well. And, and um, I'm afforded an opportunity to see that. And what people will go through is quite a transformation, because when people come into a 12-step program or they come into rehab or treatment um, in order to be, benefit from a 12-step program, What you see in this transformation is a light bulb go off, a moment of clarity where they realize that the food and the weight was the symptom, not the problem, and that that the key, the door to finding some peace of mind and, and as um, Meg was describing, this gratitude and this energy for life really comes from being able to move off of the addictive relationship with food and move into kind of this growing up, process or this healing process that is a result of working all of these steps. And that is something that goes beyond words to explain, not to sound hokey, but it's, it, it, for me it's a spiritual experience to see people um, uh, transition into that and then pass that along to another person.
2: Yeah, that must is, be really amazing. gratifying.
4: Oh, it's great. I mean, it's a privilege. And I get paid for it. go figure
2: (laughs) do you see that um, the process is really similar for people who sort of run the gamut in anorexia and bulimia and compulsive eating or kind of go back and forth between those I
4: I think there's a thread between all of these and and I think part of the evolution of OA is that although in, in its origins it was looking at people that were compulsive overeaters and mostly by appearance might be overweight we know today that that Compulsive overeating has synonyms uh, such as food addiction, binge eating disorder, bulimia. Uh, it, it has a lot of different flavors, but mm-hmm. it has one common thread. And the common thread is an addictive relationship to food and weight. And, and a 12-step program like OA offers a longer-term solution um, to a recovery process. Some people can enter that process through OA To begin with and to end with, some people, just like people with alcohol and drug addictions, need some professional help to be able to benefit from a 12-step program. But in the end, it is a 12-step program and that support system which sustains recovery.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much. for sharing your insights with us I can't believe this hour has gone by already it just flew by um, so we're going to wrap up and I'll just finish by saying if you've been struggling with your weight with eating compulsively or or another eating disorder or if you think you maybe you've tried everything check out Overeaters Anonymous it's a different approach than what you've done in the past and it might just give you a whole new life Go to our website at OA.org and find a meeting, or you can call us at 505-891-2664. Thanks again to OA members Meg and Neil for being on the show today and sharing their personal stories with us, and to Dr. Marty Lerner for sharing his insights with us, too. Join us next week on Soundbites from Overeaters Anonymous for our episode on A Plan of Eating in OA and How It's Different Than a Diet. Thank you again for
1: joining us this week. Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until next week's program, may you find support, acceptance, and hope for a renewed life.